Well, today we are going to continue in our Christmas series titled, Why the Nativity? And if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screens and you can follow along with us. And again, I just want to say this is not your typical Christmas scripture that we're going to read. This tells about the moment when Jesus ascended to heaven. But in time, I think you'll understand why I'm using this scripture for our reference today. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Then they gathered around him, around Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. When I was in Bible college, we had a class called Old Testament prophets, where we spent an entire semester studying Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, and all of the Old Testament prophets. These men were visionaries among the people of God, and their proclamations or their prophecies that they delivered were expressed in in many different ways. At times, their words would express deep emotions of both hope and yearning, Other times they would express very grim descriptions of the judgment that awaited God's enemies. But there were also times when there were very specific and accurate details regarding the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. And I have often wondered about their perspective when it came to the coming of Jesus. Yes, they prophesied about it. They looked forward to it. But I'm not certain at that time they understood the full story. Because uh, in their minds, the coming of the long-awaited Messiah would represent the pinnacle of all human history. Well, Dr. David Jeremiah addresses this thought when he writes this. So imagine, if you will, that what the prophets were seeing from such a great distance was a towering mountain peak. The Messiah's coming, after all, would represent the loftiest point in human history. The prophets could see through the mist of time. They were given details of what they could make out. But then as they grew closer to to that time and that mountain, the prophets realized that what they had thought was one great peak was actually two of them with a great valley in between. In other words, the Messiah would appear among his people not once, but twice, and our era of history is the valley that lies between his two comings. In this writing, he highlights the fact that Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other Old Testament prophets who foretold of Christ's first coming indeed knew that there would be a Messiah. And they were privileged with some of the details that God had given them regarding that event. But I'm not certain that they realized the Messiah would come twice. Now, fast forward, if you will, 
to the New Testament. And you have the apostles who served God after Jesus came. John, Peter, and Paul, for example, they all had a close vantage point. After all, Jesus' first followers heard him say words repeatedly, like he would leave and he would make one more visit at some time in the future, where he would fulfill the remaining prophecies, the ones about a a triumphant conqueror who was coming to right all wrongs and who was coming to usher in a perfect kingdom. And so as they stood on this mountain peak, on the Mount of Olives, where Jesus ascended to heaven, the angel reminded them of what that they had heard, that there would be a second coming in the future when Jesus would return to this earth. Today, we have the benefit, folks, of a much clearer perspective because the prophecy that Jesus will indeed come again is all over the New Testament that we have the benefit of reading and studying. I mean, just like the Old Testament abounds with prophecies of Jesus' first coming, the New Testament overflows with promises of his return. There are over 300 of them. And because of this, we are aware of two arrivals of both arrivals. Think of it this way. The first appearance of Jesus was a mission of humility and sacrifice. As I said last week, Jesus came the first time in order to deal with the problem of our sin once and for all. But his second appearance will be a totally different mission. It will be one of triumph. It will be one of transformation. And not only will his mission be different, but his coming and the way he comes will be very different as well. The first time Jesus entered into the world in a stable, in an obscure village, with only a handful of witnesses. But when he returns this next time, all of mankind will see a very visible and triumphant return. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, Jesus said this, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What I'm trying to say is that no one on this planet will miss what happens when the King of Kings reappears. This will not be a quiet arrival like the first one. There will be no modern day equivalent of of, of King Herod seeking out wise men to help him to locate the newborn Messiah. No, when Jesus returns, it will be a time of triumph for everyone to see. There will be no doubt in anyone's minds that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has come back to the earth. The Bible also says when Jesus comes back the second time, he'll do so suddenly. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That Greek word for moment is atmos. It's, it's from where we get our word Adam. It's an indivisible moment of time. Not a batting of the eye, it says, but the time it takes for light to flash or twinkle across a person's eye. And when Paul says, all, we, all will be changed, he's saying that those believers who are alive, when Jesus returns for the second time, we will instantly be fitted with a, a, a body that is, that is for eternity. Just like those who are gonna rise up from the graves before us. And it will be an imperishable body. And it will never contract any kind of a disease. It will never suffer injury, never any sin, never experience any sorrow. It will never break down and die. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says that when Christ returns, finally, death is swallowed up in victory. And what a day that will be for us and what a day it will be for me personally that I will never have to say goodbye to another friend doing their funeral from the front of this building. You know, when I was a child at Christmas, I, I tended to look back and focus on Jesus' first coming. But the older I get, the more I look forward to his second arrival. And often I find myself longing for those days. Sometimes I say it out loud, sometimes I keep it to myself. But I say, come, Jesus, come. I'm ready. Anytime you want to come, I am fine with that. Recently, I read about an incident in the life of a man named Bud Wood. Bud was the founder of what has become one of the finest homes for mentally challenged children and adults. It's called the Shepherd's Home, and it's in Union Grove, Wisconsin. In that facility, they care for and they minister to many children with Down syndrome. The staff at Shepherd's Home makes a concentrated effort to present the gospel to each one of these children. And as a result, many of them have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have learned how much deeply, how deeply Jesus loves them and how he wants to make them whole again and how he wants to be with them forever. They've learned that, that Jesus has prepared a place for them in his home in heaven and could return from the sky at any moment and come to take them home. Well, on a tour of the home with a friend, Mr. Wood happened to remark that one of the greatest daily maintenance problems that they face in that facility is smudged windows. His friend asked him, he said, why smudged windows? Bud smiled and he said, you can walk through Shepherd's home at any time of day and you will see some of these children standing with their hands, nose, noses, and faces pressed against the glass. Looking over at his perplexed friend, he added, they're watching for Jesus. They keep checking to see if Christ is coming back yet to take them home to heaven. And I can certainly, I can certainly identify with that anticipation because as I said earlier, I also await for the arrival of my Lord. Now when speaking of this day, I am aware that, that Jesus told his first followers that it was not for them to know when his return would happen. But if I did know, you can be rest assured I would certainly mark it on my calendar and I would eagerly await that day. Well, that wonderful day is gonna be the focus of my message this morning. Specifically, we are going to look into God's word to answer this question. Why must Jesus come again? 
I mean, why didn't he take care of business the first time around? Why must we smudge the windows with our faces looking for him? Why must Jesus come a second time? Well, I'd like to offer you three reasons this morning, and here's the first one. Jesus must come again to take home those who responded by accepting him as Lord. In other words, Jesus needed to give mankind a chance to respond to his first coming. As I said last week, when Jesus was born, he came the first time in order to die for our sins. But then after his resurrection, he ascended to heaven and he gave us, his followers, the, the, the job of, of, of sharing the good news to this lost world. See, God wants everybody, all people, to have a chance to accept this indescribable Christmas gift that we hear when we preach, that they hear when we preach the gospel message, he wants them to respond. In 1 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What you've got to understand is that God loves all people. And he has commissioned Christians like you and me to spend these centuries between his first coming and his second coming to tell people about his love, to tell them about what Jesus has done in our personal lives and to give them the opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior, just like you and I have. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And it may shock you, but in our day and age, when the world has gotten much smaller due to cell phones and 24-hour news and, and, and satellites, there are still people in this world who have not heard. There are still people who don't know why it was that Jesus came in the first place. And I'm not just referring to people in remote countries that, that the gospel message hasn't yet penetrated. I'm talking about people right here in the good old United States of America. They do not understand why Jesus came. They don't grasp the basic message of Christmas. I am certain that every one of us has, has neighbors and coworkers that still don't fully understand the good news that we celebrate at Christmas time. Simply put, Jesus left us in order to give us time to tell these people. And listen, we don't know when he's going to come back, but understand the day for his return has already been set. It has already been put on God's calendar and only God the Father knows that time. So it means that we have a limited amount of time to fulfill his command. Even though Jesus made clear the date of his second coming was not for us to know Here's what we do know. There is less time to share the gospel today than there has ever been before. And I say that, folks, to remind us that there should be a sense of urgency within all of us in our evangelistic efforts. We should not be lackadaisical when it, when it comes to, to our own personal uh, style of evangelism. We have a critical task to perform before Christ returns and the clock is ticking. The closer we get to Jesus' return, that gets closer every single day. And there's got to be a real urgency in your and my heart. 
In a very real sense, if you think about it, we are on a sinking ship. And if you have been paying attention to the news lately, you can see that there's just craziness going on in our world. And I feel like water's coming aboard. Praise God, because that means it's closer for him coming. But we must utilize every opportunity that God gives us. We must use all means possible in order to share the good news of God's love. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says this, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So we are called upon to share our faith in season and out of season when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Evangelism must be a priority in the life of every Christian. Are you, are you burdened for your friends and for your coworkers who don't know Jesus? Do you look for, uh, do you look for and do you, do you take advantage of, of opportunities that, that God gives you to, to share of the reason of the hope that is within you? I happen to believe that God provides us with more opportunities at Christmas time than he does any other time of the year. Because I believe that God opens people's hearts. I think there is something about Christmas, even though people don't fully understand it, that their hearts are more open and we need to get to work. We need to be tuned in in order to, to hear God prompting us to share our faith, faith with some person within our realm of influence. I talk about those God-appointed moments you know when those moments come. It's like everything gets out of the way, and there you are, you and this person, and you have an opportunity to say something. The question is, will you say something, or will you fold and say, I, I just don't feel comfortable doing this? God wants you to share his love. And listen, I want to just say something. When the day of Jesus' return finally does happen, we are never, ever going to look back and regret those moments where we shared our faith with another person. In fact, just the opposite will be true. I, I believe that, that we will probably agonize over moments where we, didn't have, where we had an opportunity and we didn't share it with someone. The, the times that we were silent, I'm talking about. The times when we should have spoke up and we just kind of sat on our hands. The times when we should have been more passionate about pointing people towards the Lord. It was through a movie, uh, that Steven Spielberg produced that we were introduced to a man named Oscar Schindler. During World War II, this brave German businessman used his factory as a haven for 1,100 Jews who were, they were all people who he had saved from the gas chambers of Nazi Germany. And at the end of the film, there was a scene in which Schindler was preparing to leave his factory as the advancing Allied forces were closing in. And as he leaves the, the uh, Jewish factory workers, they lined up on both sides of the road to thank him. One of them presented him with a letter signed by each person documenting his deed. Another gave him a ring formed out of the gold extracted from a worker's tooth. And on that ring was carved a verse from the Talmud that says, he who saves a single life saves the entire world. When they presented him with this gift, he showed emotion for the first time in that movie. And he, he leaned towards Isaac Stern, who was the factory foreman. And he said with a low voice, he said, I could have done more. And he pointed at his car and he said, I could have sold it. That would have released 10 more prisoners. 
And he realized the gold pen, the pin that he was wearing in his lapel, he said, I could have sold it. They could have, could have released two more. At that moment, Schindler's life reduced to simply one value. The businessman completely forgot about the monetary profits that used to drive him. His factory didn't matter anymore. On that day, only one thing mattered, and that was people. Only people. And when Christ returns, church, we're going to feel the same way. We, we won't wish we had attended more meetings. We won't regret that we didn't own a bigger house or drive a nicer car or got a bigger promotion at work. What will matter on that day is people. We will wish that we had witnessed to more people. We'll wish that we had worked harder at leading more individuals to make a decision to be ready for Christ's second return. This is the reason that Jesus left after his first coming. He left to give Christians like you and me time to share with others the reason for the season. And we must not waste our time. We must make every effort to fulfill this great commission. Well, this evangelistic urgency leads me to mention a second reason Jesus is coming again. Jesus will come again to judge the earth. 2 Peter 3, 3 through 7. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it had since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This and other scriptures tell us that when Jesus comes, judgment will come with him. In fact, before he left, Jesus said his second coming will be like it was in the days of Noah. And here are his exact words from Matthew 24, verses 38 through 39. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Author Max Licato lists the parallels Jesus was referring to in that scripture with some accurate comparisons. He said, people didn't listen in Noah's day, and many refused to listen in our day. Noah was sent to save the faithful. Christ will do the same. Noah built a safe place out of wood. Jesus made a safe place with the wood of the cross. Those who believed then hid in the ark. Those who believe today are hidden in Christ. A message of judgment was proclaimed. When the flood came, it will be the same when Christ returns. Those comparisons should remind us that when Christ comes, judgment is indeed coming for everyone. Matthew 25, 32 says, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, the apostle Paul writes, 
for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes 2.14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Matthew 12.36, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Romans 14.10, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister, or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. Please understand that we will all stand before God's judgment seat. But as Christians, here's the difference. We need not fear that coming day of judgment. Why? Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When our sins are brought to light on that judgment day, they will be revealed as forgiven sins. Our transgressions will be announced as pardoned transgressions. Praise God, huh? Max Licato tells the story of a couple who helped make, helps me make this point through, they kind of did a, a do-it-yourself marriage counseling plan. They decided to make a list of each other's faults <laughs> and then read them out loud to each other. So the wife gave her list of complaints to her husband when she said, you snore, you eat in bed, you get home too late, and you get up too early. And after finishing, uh, her husband presented his list, but when she looked at the paper, she began to smile. Because though he too had written his grievances, next to each one he wrote, I forgive you of this. And if you're a Christian, if you have been saved, by the blood of Jesus, you will receive a list similar to that on judgment day. The moment we stand before God and see the monumental list of sins that we have been involved in, we will feel God's grace more genuinely than ever before. In the presence of our holy God as forgiven sinners whose sins were covered by the blood of the lamb for the first time, we will truly understand the depth of God's grace and his love and his forgiveness. We will stand in awe as our sins are proclaimed and then pardoned. Lakeda writes, the devil will shrink back in defeat. The angels will step forward in awe and we saints will stand tall in God's grace. I don't know about you, but I like that. And that leads me to mention the one final reason that Jesus must return again. Jesus must come again to take us home. Do you remember his promise in John 14, two and three? Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I told you last week that I, on my car radio, I have an all Christmas music station playing. It's been that way since Thanksgiving day because I love Christmas music. And over the years, I have learned to memorize the words to just about every Christmas song I think that has ever been written. One of the oldies that I'm rather fond of is Bing Crosby's I'll Be Home for Christmas. I love that song because I can totally relate to that song. And I'm sure you can as well because every one of us have had times in our life 
where, where hundreds and even thousands of miles have separated us from our family in cities, in states far away, even countries. And there's something truly special about going home for Christmas and celebrating the annual birth of Jesus Christ every year when we do that. And I'm not talking about the decorations and I'm not talking about the gifts or all of those other wonderful Christmas traditions. I'm talking about the fact that Christmas brings families together and after times of, of separation, and sometimes it's long periods of time. Before Lisa and I were married, I used to fly from Phoenix to, to Detroit every Christmas to be with my family. And I remember it cost a lot of money for me to do that, but I spent whatever it took because of how wonderful it was to be together with those who I loved. It, it, it's one of the things that makes Christmas so wonderful. It was equally as joyous being on the opposite end of that when Brooke came home on Christmas break while she was going to college. It's overjoyed, you just overjoyed to see your loved ones come home. We all long to be home. We long to be with our families at Christmas. Well, when Jesus returns, it will be the greatest Christmas ever because he will take us home. And when we get home, we will be reunited with those who have gone before us, husbands, wives, grandparents, brothers, sisters, friends, board members. We will be reunited with them again. Does that promise make you wanna press your face up against the glass and look for Jesus' return? Listen, Jesus is coming to take us home someday. And when he does, there will be no more separations of family. There'll be no more illnesses. There will be no more fears. There will only be joy and peace. And all those who have received salvation in Christ Jesus have offered him lordship over their life will receive their eternal reward. And what a beautiful moment that is going to be for all of us. And that should motivate anyone to really and truly want to be ready for when that day arrives. Scott, will you guys come forward and help me to close this down? I recently read a story of a woman named Yolanda who lived in the last leper colony in America. The author, his name was Brennan. He was deeply involved in this leper colony in Carville, Louisiana, which is about 20 miles outside of Baton Rouge. It was an active colony, get this, until 1999. I want you to listen to his story, and I hope I can make it through this. On one of my trips, I was met by the head nurse who asked, Brennan, can you come quick and pray for Yolanda? She's dying. So I went into her room, sat at the edge of her bed. Before the leprosy, Yolanda was a beautiful 32-year-old woman. Five years later, Yolanda's mouth was severely contorted. Both ears were distended. Her scarred face was hideous to many. She had no fingers on either hand. When she was diagnosed, Yolanda's husband divorced her and forbade their two sons from ever visiting their mother. It had been years since she had seen them. In short, Yolanda was a dying, abandoned, insignificant woman. Well, I anointed her with oil and prayed with her. 
Then as I turned around to put the top back on the oil, the room was filled with a brilliant light. It had been raining when I came in. I didn't even look up, but I prayed, thank you, Father, for the sunshine. I bet that will cheer her up. As I turned to look back at Yolanda, her face was like a sunburst over the mountains, like 1,000 sunbeams streaming out of her face, so bright, I had to shield my face. I said, Yolanda, you appear to be very happy. Will you tell me why you are so happy? Yes, the Abba of Jesus just told me that he would take me home today. I asked her what Abba said. Yolanda replied, come now, my love, my lovely one, come. For you, the winter has passed. The snows are over and gone. The flowers appear in the land. The seasons of joyful songs has come. The cooing of the turtle dove is heard on our land. Come now, my love, my Yolanda, come. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is beautiful. Come now, my love, my lovely one, come. Six hours later, her little leprous body was swept up into a furious love of her Abba. Later that same day, I learned from the staff that Yolanda was illiterate. She had never read the Bible or any book for that matter. And I surely had never repeated those words to her in any of my visits. It was as to say, a man, I was as to say, a man undone. You see, Yolanda had quoted the Song of Solomon, chapter two, verses 10 through 14 verbatim. So Yolanda was not alone. Her Abba, her Father in heaven, had come to be with her, come to take her home. Ladies and gentlemen, someday, some glorious day, Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna take us home. Some of us are gonna go before his return. Some of us are gonna go the day he decides to take us all up into heavens with him. And this is all possible because Christ came on that first Christmas. You see that baby in the manger, he grew up, he became a man. He fulfilled God's plan. He fulfilled and completed his mission. He came to die and then to be resurrected, therefore overcoming death and the grave. And he bore your sin and he bore my sin on that cross so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. And he did so by the shedding of his own blood. And it is his blood that covers our sin and we can be wiped away clean of our sins, or as the Bible says, cleansed of all unrighteousness. Only Jesus can reconcile you to God the Father and offer you eternal life in God's presence when your time on this earth is done. And until you accept this gift of salvation and quit thinking about it and quit talking about it and quit pretending you understand what it is when you've never given your heart to Jesus, the difference that Christmas has upon you personally, I am sorry, it will be meaningless to you. So understand that Christ came. He came to give you access to a relationship with God the Father, to give you an abundant life in all of its fullness. So I ask you this morning to consider the difference that Christ can make in your life today. If you ask him, he won't just forgive you of your sins, 
He will free you from guilt. He will free you from the shame that comes along with those sins. He will fill you with your emptiness, with the fullness of God. You will become a new creation. He will give your life purpose and a meaning, and he will fill you with joy and peace. That joy and peace that we sing about at Christmas time. He will be your constant companion, and he will guide you every step of your life. You see, the message of Christmas is not just the retelling of an event that happened over 2,000 years ago, folks. It is the opportunity for that past event to become a present reality in your life today. And my prayer has been that you would invite him into your heart today. I'd like to ask all of you who can to please stand to your feet. This morning as we've been talking about Jesus' second return, I need to ask you, are you ready for that glorious moment? Is your heart right before God this morning? Most importantly, have you received salvation through Christ Jesus? I wanna open up this altar today for anyone who might wanna spend some time in the presence of God in prayer. If you've never accepted Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, you can do so right now. You can receive salvation. The Bible says if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So simply pray a prayer. Tell Jesus that, that you believe he is the Son of God, that you know that he is the only way to God the Father. Ask him to forgive you of your sin, to be the Lord of your life, not just this Christmas, but every day. Because the Bible says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And in just a moment, you can come down to this altar where you can simply pray from your seat. And, and you can ask Jesus to make you ready for his return. Maybe you're here today and you have a need of some kind. You know what it is. You've kept it to yourself. But you can come down to this altar and you can turn that need over to the Lord. Ask him for his guidance and assistance and provision in that, and you can walk away. Here's the deal, he already knows your need. He's waiting for you to ask him to intervene and to help you in this situation. Maybe you have a relationship this morning that needs amending. You really wanna have peace with someone in your life, but that relationship is strained. You need God's direction on how to move forward. Take that step toward reconciliation. He can provide you with the ability to do something that, that you know needs to be done, but maybe you're fearing doing, or maybe you're unwilling to do. Maybe you just wanna come down to this altar and praise God for his goodness and his faithfulness to you and your family. Whatever it is that you need to seek God on today, we're gonna to open up this altar for a moment of time. Come down here, spend some time with the Lord. Pastor Anthony and I will come, we'll lay hands upon you, and then we'll close this service in prayer. So while the worship team sings, please come down. Let's spend some time with the Lord, and then we'll close this service. Yes, Lord, you are worthy, God. You are worthy, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy. 
Christ child. We thank you for salvation through the work that Jesus did on the cross, but we are equally as thankful to know that you are coming again and that you are going to take us home. We thank you for that promise. It's what we live for. And Father, I just ask that you would make sure my family, my church family is ready for that time. Father, that we would live lives that would be worthy of the sacrifice that you made for us and that furthermore we would be so blessed by what you have done in our lives that we would want to share it with others so use us mightily father to fulfill the great commission that you've given to each one of us i pray that this christmas season will be a great a time of great harvest for churches all throughout this community as well as high point as each one of us goes out and we share the faith and the hope that we have within us through Christ Jesus. So I pray that you would use each and every one of us, Lord God, to reach out and to love those who really need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have, Lord, that those conversations would be designed to build people up and not tear them down that we would be shining bright lights in this very dark world. And of course, that's the love of Christ shining through us. Let it be so evident that people would ask us what it is that's different about us. And then you open that door for us to share the love of Christ with them. Father, as I always pray, I pray for a, a God-ordained moment this week for each one of us. If someone will cross our path, 
Maybe somebody we've known for a long time, somebody we've prayed for for a long time, or it might be somebody we've just met, but you will open a door for us to share your goodness with them and that we would see lives transform for the kingdom of God. So use us, Father, I pray. And until we meet together again, I ask that you would keep us safe from sickness and disease, keep us safe from any accidents that might befall us until we join together again as a family and we worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we go, Father, let us go in love. Let us love those who need your love and even let us love those who are hard to love because that's how you loved and that's what your expectation of us is. So as we go, let us go in love and follow your commands. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit, not just within us, but in this place and in this service today. God, use us mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today.